0: So if you guys got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 4, please. Jonah chapter 4. That's where we're going to be spending a lot of our time today. The most of our topic today is going to be in Jonah chapter 4, but before we get into Jonah chapter 4, I'm just going to give you guys, um, just refresh your memory on on Jonah. So, Forrest, can you grab the flannel graph or... No, no. <laughs> no, we're going to get the flannel graph out of it this time, but that's... That's all right. because well, you guys are turning to Jonah chapter 4, i I'll just going to give you, uh, re- refresh your memory a little bit. Okay, so Jonah, he's a prophet, prophet of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, okay? And then just for some historical background for you guys, if you guys like that, like I do, okay, this is during the, t- uh, the time period of King Jeroboam, okay, the evil Israelite king. He didn't do a very good job. There are a couple of contemporary prophets as well that are out there. In the southern kingdom, Judah, things like that, you have uh, Hosea, Amos, they're out there as well during Ju- Jonah's time. And Jonah, he's already kind of at work. Um, we've, we see he's brought up in Second Kings chapter 14. Um, he's talked about how they were expanding the kingdom when it was prophesied that they would do that. And that was, that came through Jonah. Okay, so Jonah, he's a prophet. He gets a word from God. Okay, his job is to share God's message with God's people. Okay, we all know, story. Jonah, he gets the word, yet he runs away. He goes down to Joppa, he finds this port down in Joppa, which is about 100 to 200 miles south of where he's from, um, which is uh, modern day, um, nor- northern part of it. Let's see here, just outside the Sea of Galilee, that's where he's, Jonah's from. Okay, So Jonah, he runs away, and just imagine that, you're a prophet. God's given you a word to speak to God's people, and you, you completely disregard it, you run away. That's, that's where Jonah's at right now. And a lot of times we think that Jonah, he's, he's running away because it must have been scary for him to run away, or it must have been scary for him to go preach in Nineveh, which is where God called him to preach. The Ninevites, are part of the Assyrian, Assyrians, uh, that, that nation. Nineveh is the capital of, of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And you know we, we think that that's why Jonah ran away, but we're going to read a little bit later that that's not the reason why Jonah ran off. Yes, those people were, were pretty ruthless savages, but that's not the reason that Jonah says that he ran away. Okay, but this, this word of the God, this word of God, it comes to Jonah, and that thing is that should have given Jonah some confidence. Okay, I mean he's he's a prophet. He he knows this is God's word. I can trust it. He's heard all the things that God's done in the past, and he's he's getting prophecy for that, that time period. That should have given Jonah some confidence, but the thing is, it didn't. And sometimes, for us, we can we can struggle with that, you know, struggle with God's leading in our lives. And I know that to be true because that happens with me. Okay, you know, God, I'm up here preaching to you guys. You guys don't know me. I'm an I'm an introvert. I don't like talking. I don't like being up here with everybody looking at me. My brother in the back, especially. Okay, all those, all those things. I, oh my God! Are you, don't you know, God? I'm an introvert. You you don't remember that? Okay, but. Here we are. Um, so what happens with Jonah? What happens? Jonah, he gets on this ship, and he heads out for Tarshish, which is, like, the farthest place that is known to people at that time. Okay, it's like modern-day Spain is, like, where he's trying to get to. That's, that's where he's going. But the thing is, God comes after Jonah, even when Jonah thinks he's in the, in the clear. Jonah would have passed probably at least one or two other, other ports when he's getting down to Joppa. But he's going as far away as he can, trying to run from God. So he gets on this ship. He thinks he's in the clear. He's he's headed away from where God's commanded him to go. Okay, it's about two thousand miles away where, is where Jonah is trying to get to. Um, that's that's where he's trying to get to from Joppa. And that's even further than Nineveh, where he was originally supposed to go. Okay, God causes this huge storm that scares everybody on this ship. There's full time mariners who do this job for a living day in and day out. These mariners, these sailors, they are all afraid of the storm that happens because Jonah's running from God. I mean, could you imagine the, the storm that it must have been to scare these guys who do this full-time day in and day out for ten months, eight to ten months a year? That's that's their everyday job out there on the sea, and here they are. They're all afraid for their lives. They end up all casting lots to try to figure out what's causing this, what's causing this great storm, and they go to Jonah, like, hey, you know, you, you need to pray to your God and do all these things. They cast their lots the, eventually falls on Jonah and they're all terrified because they knew that Jonah was actually running away from the Lord and Jonah tells them that in Jonah chapter 1 he says that everybody was afraid because they knew that he was running away from Yahweh the God of Israel the seas get rougher the waves grow higher, the winds blowing harder, they all ask what they need to do and Jonah says hey you need to toss me overboard they end up not doing that Okay? Jonah tells them what they need to do and they still don't listen. They don't toss more. They say, no, nah, you know what? I think we can row back to shore. I think we got it. It's okay. We'll, we'll give it a try. Knowing that God's one causing the storm, they think that they're, they're going to be able to do that on their own accord. Okay. Obviously, they're unable to. You guys know the story. They're unable. They try to row back to shore and the storm just keeps getting bigger and the waves are growing and it's a stronger storm. It's, the wind's blowing harder, all these things. Finally, They end up tossing Jonah overboard. Toss him into the sea, and it was instantaneously calm. Okay? The mariners, we see that they kind of repent. They they start giving their life to Yahweh. They offer sacrifice right then and there after they see everything that happens. Okay, and this is where the small part of the story comes in, but we all tend to get caught up in this one small part that comes in. Okay? We we all tend to focus on the great fish, that swallowed Jonah, but that's not the purpose or the center of the story. Okay, there are two main characters in this story, and that's God and Jonah. The, the fish, yes, it's fascinating that the fish did what he did, but that's not the point of the story. Okay, God provides this giant fish, this great fish, to swallow Jonah, and that's where some of you guys, you, just, you know, you lose this story. You think, well, this can't actually happen. It's not possible to be swallowed by a fish. It's not, you know, that's... Whatever, scientifically impossible, whatever it is, we, we tend to think, you know what, there's no way that happens. But the thing is, we see Jesus later on in the New Testament talking about this. Okay, Jesus recalls this story when he's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 and then in all the other synoptic gospels. He's, when he's talking to these Pharisees, he recalls this and he recalls it as a factual story, a factual event that actually had happened. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. Okay, and if it's good enough for Jesus to recall this as factual and actual, it needs to be good enough for us. And we can know that it's true because Scripture says this is what happened. Okay, so anyway, Jonah, he's swallowed up by this great fish. He's in the bottom of the ocean, inside the stomach of this great fish. and And eventually he has a change of heart after a little bit of pouting while he's in there. Okay, that happens during chapter 2. He lets out a prayer to God eventually, at the very end, and it's still somewhat biased, saying, well, God, those people, those Ninevites, they're they're horrible people, but I, God, am going to sacrifice praise to you. After he has this this prayer to God, God commands this great fish to vomit them up onto the shore. And then, most likely, okay, I... If you guys can't tell, I I like the uh, the contextual, historical background things when it comes to scripture, okay? And I found out that basically where this fish, it doesn't say exactly in scripture where he got vomited up to, but most likely it would have been somewhere near like modern day Tel Aviv, somewhere on the shores of Israel, okay? And for your guys' biblical geography, Nineveh is still about 550 miles away from where he got vomited up. So he's got some time as he's going to make this walk now. So, God commands this very fish it to him up somewhere probably near Joppa, which is the modern day Tel Aviv. And then he still needs to go 550 miles to Joppa, they're from Joppa to Nineveh to go preach this message. Okay? And then just for you guys, Nineveh, that's thats modern day like Mosul, Iraq. So, you know, their great, 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 grandchildren are like the fathers of Isis and stuff. So, they, the repentance wasn't long lived as we find out, obviously, okay? So, God gives Jonah a message, again, a second time, and finally Jonah's like, okay, you know what, I've lost while I was in that fish, I smell like fish, I have fish puke on me, probably lost some hair being in those stomach bile, all these things, and I'm sure he's thinking about these things, I know I would be, if I'm walking 550 miles to preach a message to a group of people that I hate, I'd be thinking about these things, like, man, God, what are you doing, you know, what's going on? Okay, so Jonah gets there, and it would have taken him at least three three weeks, four weeks walking. And he had all that time to think about what just happened and what's going to happen next. He knows who the Ninevites are these savage, ruthless people. Jonah gets to Nineveh, takes him three days to walk around this great city to, to preach the message that God has given to him to speak to the people. And what he does, he does the bare minimum. He does the bare minimum. Scripture says that he said seven words. Seven words in English for the message, okay? Forty days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's five words. It's, it's even less words. It's the least amount possible. He's, he's, we can see his attitude here already. Like, okay, God, if you tell me I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I don't want to be inside that fish again with all his vomit throw up and stomach bile on me. That's gross. So he's going around and he's preaching this message, seven words, saying the least that he possibly has to to get God's message across to the people. and then guess what the people do, these savage, ruthless people. They hear the message, they have faith in the word of God that's being spoken through the prophet, Jonah, and then they all repented. They have no idea what it looks like to serve God, but everybody, from the king all the way down to the least, they're, they're putting sackcloth on, they're putting ashes over their head in this reverent fear of the Lord. You guys, they don't even know they're, they're putting it on their animals because they're trying to serve God the best that they can. They're like, you know what? Hey, Billy, bring out the donkey. He's getting sackcloth on it. Hey, hey, you go get the cows. They're getting sackcloth on it. Everybody's getting sackcloth. That's what they're doing. We, they're, we see them totally change, and they're, they're trying their very best to serve Yahweh, okay, the God of Israel. And yeah, they change for this time being. Okay, Remember, this is modern-day Iraq, Missoula, Iraq, where ISIS is at. Then we move on to chapter 3. Chapter 3 ends with God relenting and not bringing on the destruction that he promised Nineveh. Okay, the prophecy of Jonah, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown, repent or burn, okay, those things. It's, God relents from that. And he does not bring on the destruction to him that he had threatened. Okay, and that, that leads us today to where we're at, Jonah chapter 4. So I'm just going to read this, and as I read, I'm going to make some comments. So just follow along with me in Jonah chapter 4. As you guys notice, there are no sermon notes. Okay, I do that on purpose. You guys can thank me later. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's only ten, eleven verses here, so we should even get out kind of early. I know that clock's wrong, but we'll we'll do our best here. All right, I'm just going to open this up just just in a word of prayer before we get started into into the text today. Father right, God, we just thank you for for who you are, Lord, and and what you do. God, we just Pray as we're getting ready to, to study Jonah and just read what your word says, God, I just pray that we can all just take something out of this, Lord, and, and just actually apply it into our lives today, God, because it's one thing to just hear the word, but it's another thing to be an actual doer of the word, God, and that's what we want to be. We want to be doers of your word, doers of your will in our lives, and not just have all this head knowledge for, for no reason. God, I just uh, thank you for this time that we even get to use to just gather and just be together. Lord, and just, I just pray you uh, bless our time. In your name, amen. Cool, yeah. Just follow along Jonah chapter 4. Cause I'm going to just comment, make some comments along the way. Okay. Jonah 4, verse 1 says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Okay. So God relenting and not destroying these people seemed wrong to Jonah. Jonah's really mad here. He can't stand that God didn't destroy those people. Okay. Because the Ninevites to Jonah, those were those people. Okay. They're they're those bad people group, and the thing is, we tend to have a thought in our mind sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know, but we have this thought in our mind about who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. Oh, those people, God could never change their heart. Not a chance. God could never save them. Okay, think about it today. Look at Israel and Hamas right now. Okay, they're fighting. They're literally at war with each other. And the first thing that pops in my mind is, okay, yeah, they'll never be saved. Okay, but. I'm not going to put God in a box and we shouldn't be doing that to God. God can save whoever he wants to save. Nineveh, the Ninevites, they were much more than just slapping people with fish like VeggieTales shows. They, they were ruthless people. Okay, They were enemies of Israel. And, and God saved them. We see God save them. Okay, But yeah the nation that I would immediately think that would never be saved. And that's, this whole thing, sort serves as a great reminder that God is the one who's sovereign. God's the one who's ruling and reigning, not me. God gets the say. Verse 2, Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. He's got no problem calling on God's mercy when he's in the bottom of this great fish, at the bottom of the ocean. He's got no problem calling on God's mercy himself. But then he's mad when God is merciful to the Ninevites. He's upset with God for this. Okay? What if God had treated Jonah the way that Jonah wanted God to treat the people of Nineveh? There wouldn't be a chance for him. Okay? And with, with just within reading that, we, we have to just give credit to where credit's due. Look again, verse... Yeah, verse 2, the end of verse 2. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Okay, What an encouragement for us today okay, to know that God's gracious, that God doesn't change. He's still gracious. He's still compassionate. He's still slow to anger. He's still abounding in love. Okay, Think back on your own life and remember the times that God's shown this to you in your own life. Just what, a, what an encouragement from Jonah's complaint that we get here. He's still praising God in that complaint. Yeah, just just an encouraging thing. Okay. Let's see, verse three. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So he just has this shout of praise to God, thanking him and saying all these things about God. How he can save a nation. And then he goes back to pouting and complaining. Okay, Jonah just had a, a crazy couple months, I'm sure. And it's a it's as if he forgot who God even was. God just carried him through the belly of the fish, through a storm, through the belly of the fish. He sustained him on a 550-mile walk. And him, he's given Jonah a second chance to go and hear his message for God's people and go out and do it. Okay? He gave him a second chance to share this message with these people, those people. And then he witnesses an entire nation come to repentance. Everybody's wearing sackcloth, even the animals. That's crazy. Jonah's basically saying, he's complaining here, I'd rather die than live. He, he's basically saying that the repentance of those people, these changed lives of these people, it's so painful for Jonah, because Jonah hates these people. He'd rather die than even think about it. And that gets into what God's response is. Okay, verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Okay, Jonah, he's sharing his feelings here to, to God. He's, he's, he's being completely honest with him, which is a good thing. And it's good for us to share our feelings to God, but that doesn't make those feelings justified to him. Okay, that doesn't make him justified at all. God has every right to question Jonah here, just like he has every right to question you in your life and me in my life. Okay, it's all throughout Scripture. God's always questioning. Okay, look, in, look in Genesis. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? What have you done? Where's your brother Abel? New Testament, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, these, are, these are questions that God is asking. And the thing is, God is, God's allowed to ask. Okay, remember, he's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's ruling and reigning. And God asking questions, it's a way to reveal our hearts. If you honestly answer the question that God's asking you, it's going to show you where your heart's at. So we need to ask ourselves the same question. If we ever get angry at God, okay, is it right for us to be angry? Okay, here's the tip for you. The answer is No. It's never okay to be angry at God. It's always okay to be, yeah, blowing your mind, I'm sorry, baby. it's always alright to be angry at sin, and as a matter of fact, actually, we should be angry at sin, we should be upset with sin, we should hate our sin, things like that. But it's never okay to be angry at God. Never could okay to be angry at God. That shows that we're not fully trusting God, because God's always right. He's the one who's ruling, he's the one who's reigning. It's good to be honest with God and share your feelings to him, but that doesn't make those feelings justified. Verse 5. Jo- Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. So as whole city just gets saved, Jonah takes a walk, he takes a hike, he goes up on this mountainside east of the city, and he sits down and he sets up shop. He's just watching them. He, Jonah, it, there's nothing here that says Jonah's going to you know, watch for a little bit and then he's going to go back to Israel, he's going to wait for a word from the Lord, None of that. Jonah, he leaves the city, and what does he do? He sits down and he watches. What was Jonah going to do? He wasn't going to do a single thing. He wasn't going to do anything. Okay? Have any of you guys ever been to like a sporting event, football, soccer, baseball, any of those things? Okay, what, what do spectators do? Thanks, Eli. What do spectators do? Spectators, they sit down and they watch. They're sitting down there watching the people play. That's exactly what they do. And that's what is doing here. He's becoming a spectator. He's sitting down and he's watching over the city, not doing anything. Okay, if you guys are saved in this room, guess what? God has given each and every one of you a spiritual gift. Every saved person has a spiritual gift. Okay, the Bible's super clear on that. Every saved person has a spiritual gift. Scripture says that spiritual gifts are given to us for for the edification of the church, for the building up of the church, for the church body, for the body of Christ, okay, and the thing is, it's not something that you pick, this spiritual gift, is isn't something that you pick, it's something that God picks for you, okay, trust me, I'd rather be up here with a guitar, singing, leading you guys in worship, but there's a reason I turned my microphone off when I was singing, okay, you guys can also thank me later, okay, that's not my gift, as much as I want that to be my gift, it's not, it's not. So every Christian, they have this gift, and we need to serve God and others with it. We need to serve the body of Christ with it. Okay? You guys, the point is, you guys need to find what your gift is, and you need to use it. You guys can find what your gift is by getting involved in, in a ministry somewhere, or volunteering in some other ministry in some way, or doing whatever God's putting on your heart, trying it out, okay? see if that's actually your gift, and then using it. Okay, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I doing for God? How am I serving God in my life? How am I serving others in my life? How am I helping build up the body of Christ? Spectators, what do they do? They sit down and watch. They're the ones're the ones who are judging on the sidelines, they are evaluating. When the participants they're, they're not. they're the ones actually involved in the mission. They're involved in the game, they're involved. Participators. They they worship God by singing to God, by praying to God, by listening to God, obeying God. They come away from church with something to change or something to do in their life, not just more knowledge for their brain. They actually have something to change. Okay. Spectators, what do they do? Okay, they're evaluating music. Ah man, those songs today not the best. That music, oh way too loud in here, turn it down. Man, the poor singing you know, sorry guys, poor singing. Bad seats, weird paint, whatever it is. Man, it's too hot in here. It is pretty warm in here, but okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. <laughs> okay. What's up with that weird painting behind the pastor in the back? Man, the pastor's sermon sure was off today. Okay, Spectators, they always have something to judge, something to evaluate on. Okay, We need to ask ourselves, are you a spectator? Or are you a participant? Okay, let's look at verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plan. Made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. Look at this, Jonah—he's—he's he's happy about this plant. He gets happy over this little plant that God is the one who makes grow up. And now the thing is, he's a comfortable spectator. It's no longer hot on his head. He's—he's he's comfortable, and the thing is, comfort—that's important to the spectator. Your, your own comfort's important. Okay, Jonah. Now he's got good seats. He's going to sit back and just watch this nation trying to follow God. He doesn't go down there and even you know offer to help them. What you know he doesn't show them what it looks like to serve Yahweh. He's just sitting back and watching them. He's got now he's got shade over his head. He's comfortable now. Okay, comfort's important to the spectator, and, and when we lose focus, we tend to focus more on our own comfort rather than being a participant. That, that happens a lot. I'm, I've never played football. My mom would never let me as a kid, but I watched my brother play every once in a while. Okay, and I'm sure that wearing all those pads and all that gear was, was uncomfortable. Okay, but it, it didn't matter to my brother when he was playing, because guess what? He was actually involved in playing the game. Okay, the, we need to find what our shade plan is. Johnny had a shade plan. We all have this shade plan. We all have this thing of comfort that we don't want to let go of. We need to find what the shade plan is in our own lives, and we, we need to get rid of it. Because focus, focusing on God's com- or focusing on comfort is the wrong attitude for God's people. It's the wrong attitude for God's people. Jonah, he had misplaced passion, basically. And in, in our passion, it shows where our heart's truly at. Okay, verse seven. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. Okay, Jonah complaining again. Jonah, he's getting mad about this plant that he did nothing to make this plant grow, nothing. Okay, And just looking back over the story, God has provided everything for him so far. He provided a fish. He provided a word. He provided a fish. He provided another word. He provided a second chance. He provided this plant. God provided a worm to destroy this plant. And Jonah gets mad over it. Okay? Jonah, the thing is, he, he's made some pretty, some pretty big errors that people who are angry at God, they tend to make. It, the first one is, when he went out, Jonah, he quit serving God. He quit looking for a way that he can serve God. He quit trying to serve others. He sat there and watched his nation as they're oddly putting sackcloth on animals, trying to do the best they can to serve God. And he's just watching. Okay, the f- first mistake is that he just, he quit serving. The second is, he separated himself. Jonah separated himself from, from people. He separated himself from God's people. He didn't go back to Israel. He didn't go back and tell all of the other prophets, his contemporaries at the time, like, hey, you'll never believe it. I was just in this stomach of this great fish for three days, and I walked. And then this whole nation, Nineveh, remember them? The guys who hate us? Yeah, they're all repented now. He doesn't go back and say any of that. He separates himself from others. He separates himself from God's people. And then the last, Jonah, he became a spectator. Instead of being a participant, instead of doing his calling that he has of being a prophet and sharing God's word with people, he just sits sits back and does nothing. What's what's heard is Bible Church's vision? You guys all have a a church directory? It's it's on the front page. the, The vision of this church here that we attend. Okay, the vision is to g- create, to grow, and to empower disciples. Okay, are you guys partaking in that? Are you guys a part of that vision of our church? This doesn't mean that you guys need to go out and everybody in here is going to lead their own ministry. That's not what it means. Okay, But maybe it starts with just getting involved in one. Okay, shameless plug for small groups. That starts in January. Look out for the sign-ups in December. Okay. Are you guys planning on being a part of that? Are you guys, are you guys a spectator? Are you going to sit back and just let this opportunity to be discipled and grow and pray for each other and become this church, cohesive church, just slip through your hands. Okay? I get that you can't be at everything, and that's okay. Unless you're Larry. Larry's at everything. Always. Okay? But that's not the point, though. But the point isn't church attendance. It's not attendance of every church event, because no church attendance is going to get you saved, obviously. We can't work our way into heaven by saying, hey, God, remember all those events I attended with the church? You want to let me in? That's, that's not how it works, okay? The point is, is that we need to be doing things that pour into us so that way we can go around and turn around and pour into other people, okay? That's how discipleship works, and that's how we create, this, that's how we, we fulfill this vision that the church has of creating disciples, that's how we grow disciples, and that's how we empower disciples, to let them serve, build up the church, and for the edification of the church, okay? That's how we do all those things. Okay? Or maybe you're here today. You're not even saved. Maybe you're just a spectator on the outside, just watching. Just watching the Christians. Okay. Maybe you're hesitant to surrender your life to Christ. You're like Jonah. God's calling you to be saved, but you're running away. You found yourself, whatever ship it is in your life, that you're willing to take as far away from God, the opposite way from God, where God's called you, which is to repentance and surrendering your life and putting your faith in Jesus. Okay. And then here's just a reminder for you guys. There's always going to be a ship that's ready and willing and able and waiting to take you away from God, as far away from God as possible. Always, always one. Okay? Maybe you've been a spectator of Christians in the church in the past, and you've said things like, oh, you know, whatever your experience is, I don't know your story, God does. Okay? People say things like, I've been hurt by the church, I've had bad experiences, whatever it is. Okay? And I'm not saying that those things didn't happen. Because those things do happen. The church is full of just forgiven people, okay? Not, not perfect people. Okay, I don't know the story God does. Okay, I know God, Jesus, he ha- actually told us a promise, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Okay, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a promise from God. And then here's the thing, God wants us, he wants you to be a part in his mission. God could have easily have picked any other prophet, or he could have brought up any other prophet in Israel to go to Nineveh. God obviously knew that Jonah was going to run away and do all these things. But God could have created any other person to go and be a prophet to the Ninevites. God could have saved somebody in Nineveh and let one of their own people go and do this thing. But he didn't, because he wanted Jonah to do it. There are certain jobs that God only wants you to do. There are certain jobs that, only, that God just wants you to do. He already has this plan for your life. He already has these works planned out for you in your life. Okay, but what's, what's holding you back? He wants you to surrender your life to him and get involved in his mission. Okay, verse 10, where it comes to, a, comes to a close here, 10 and 11. But the Lord said, "You have been concerned about this plant, but you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Okay, God basically calls Jonah out here, and he's causing Jonah to look at his own heart. He's basically saying, hey, you need to check your heart, and the thing is, we need to be checking our heart regularly to make sure that we're on task, Okay? to make sure that we're in alignment with God and His Word. And then here's, a, here's another little tip for us, okay? If you find yourself out of step with God's Word, you need to get yourself changed and back into alignment. Surrender your life to Him. Repent. Ask God for His forgiveness for that, okay? We never take God's Word and make it change what we want it to say. We never take God's Word and, and change it so that we can fit in whatever we want to do on our own little mission on our own ship somewhere off in the sea, headed for distant land. We don't do that, okay? We need to check our heart and see, are we only concerned with our own comfort? Do we only care about ourselves? Or are we actually wanting to get involved in God's mission and be a part of what His plan is for us in our life? Okay? So, three, three questions that we read in our Bible, we should always be asking ourselves, Okay? When you're, when you're actually studying your Bible, okay? And super easy ones. The first is, what does this passage tell us about God? The second, what does this passage tell us about us? What does this passage tell us about people? Okay? And then the last is, how should this passage change my, my thinking? Or how should it change my actions? So, after reading just these 11 verses, there, there's three basically main points I want us to kind of go home with today and remember. And the first of, what does this passage tell us about God? It tells us that God is always right even if you don't understand. God is always right even if you don't understand. Because the thing is, most of the time we're not going to understand God. We can't. We're not not capable of doing that. But we need to remember that God is always right no matter what. Even if it doesn't make sense to us. The second thing, what does this passage tell us about us? What does it tell us about people? It tells us that we often tend to be inward focused instead of being outward focused. We tend to focus in on our own comforts and our own desires rather than focusing on what's God's desires, what's God's mission, where can I serve, where's a place that's lacking that I can go in and serve at. Things like that. And then the last thing, how should this passage change my thinking and our, my actions? Is this, this one's a simple one, but it can. We, a lot of us get hung up on it. We need to get involved with God's mission instead of sitting on the sidelines. God has a plan. He has stuff that he wants just you to do. Maybe you and a group of people or you and people of the church or a church, whatever it is. We need to get involved in God's mission instead of sitting on the sidelines. One last shameless plug for small groups. going to start in January. (laughs) That's going to be a great place for us to connect together in, in small groups of people throughout Kath okay, there's five or six hosts, and it's just going to be a really good time of discipleship and praying for each other, studying the Bible together, asking questions, just hanging out in fellowship midweek, whatever day of the week it's going to be, okay, th- things like that, that, that's, that would be a good place to start, if you don't know where to start, I would suggest that, start there, okay, start seeking God's will now, all those things, okay, I'm just going to pray for us, I appreciate you guys listening. And then, look at that, we got out early. Father right, God, I just thank you for today, Lord. We just uh, we just thank you for this message, God. We just uh, just pray that, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit's at work in us, in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, to just kind of give us a fire to get started and, and go out and, and serve you and serve your church and serve others. God, I just uh, pray that whatever it is that you will have us do, Lord, that you just make that known to us so that we can go out and, and be serving you, God. We don't want to be like Jonah, running away from you. We want to be staying close to you in service to you so we, we can glorify you, God. I just pray that you just give us all a great rest of our week, Lord, and uh, just we just thank you for this time we had. In your name, Lord, amen.